This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. The year is 2021, and the only constants were death, taxes, and the Oscars. This is the Unspooled Oscar Special. everybody and welcome to unspooled i'm amy nicholson and i am paul Shear. and normally this is the podcast where we are looking for the best movies of all time but this week we are taking a break to focus on the most important night in hollywood that's right i am talking about the oscars and amy i have oscar fever Ooh, me too i think it's contagious is there a vaccine yes I have the JJ&J vaccine. It's the Ryan Johnson, Dwayne Johnson, Dakota Johnson vaccine. If you watch one of their films, each one of their films, you will not get the Oscar fever. Uh, so I've watched Knives Out, uh, two of the Fast and Furiouses, and Fifty Shades of Grey. I am completely protected so I can talk about this Oscar <laughs> ceremony without any problem. Oh, well, then let's bring it on because these films deserve to be talked about nobody got to see them in theaters so it is yeah. time to like bump them up be some hype well, man over here be some hype man to little gold man i gotta be honest amy you know this year has been a little tricky for me i normally love oscar films but this year i haven't felt the desire to go there to like emotionally invest myself like if you were to put on a table like the trial of chicago seven and Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. I'm going to watch Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Same thing. It's like The Father or King Kong versus Godzilla. My choice is made. I don't know about you, but like emotionally, I didn't want to go to a deeper place inside of myself. I've been living in that place for a year. Okay, so you're saying we're doing an Oscar show and I've seen everything and you have seen what? I, one? I no, I've seen Two? a few. I've seen okay. a few. I've seen a few. I haven't seen them all. I've seen Judas and the Black Messiah. I've seen Minari. I've seen Nomadland. I've seen Promising Young Woman. And that's about it in the best picture category. I also saw Another Round, uh, which I absolutely loved, and Soul. So I've seen a handful of things. I don't feel like you could bring me to go see Mank. 
Uh, I don't want to go there. Just the poster of Father, No Thank You, Sound of Metal felt like, ah, I love, I love him as an actor, but I don't want to watch someone going deaf. And Trial of Chicago 7, I was like, eh, I got it. I get it. <laughs> so uh, that's how I made my choices. Uh, wow. Well, okay, then let's do this because I have seen everything. Yes, um, that's your job. You have obligated to. to see everything. Legally, legally, I'll get sued yes. if I don't. Legally, you have to see it because you, Amy, are a tastemaker, all right? When you pick films in the L.A. film critics circle, like you are putting forward what will potentially be nominated for an Academy Award. I mean, you are there. You are on the front line. So you've seen so much stuff. And I guess my question to you is, are you in agreement with the best pictures that are currently nominated? Well, I think they're a good lot, and I think we'll definitely get into it. But I'm kind of curious. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's talk about all eight Best Picture nominees. And the four mm-hmm. that you haven't seen, I want you to watch the trailer before we talk about that one. And okay. I feel like just that alone, we'll see if you get a sense of it. You ready? Okay. Has sure. A, has a Absolutely. I have not seen a single frame of footage uh, for The Trial of Chicago 7, Sound of Metal, uh, The Father, or Mank. So I will be watching these purely uh, unadulterated, like the trailer will be my first moment to see anything. <laughs> I love this. I mean, I hate trailers and never watch them. I, and mm-hmm. so this this will be good for me. I'm curious what's even in these trailers. I haven't seen them yet. Yeah. All right. Well, that's exciting. I didn't even think about Oscar movies having trailers. I don't know why, because I haven't been in a movie theater in a <laughs> fucking year and I miss it so much. I've been to a drive-in, but Seeing like an Oscar movie at the drive-in doesn't feel right. Although I will say, I feel like seeing uh, Nomadland in a drive-in might be perfect. That would work. You know, I saw the trial of Chicago 7 at a drive-in and uh, they gave us a little slice of Chicago pizza. Oh, that's nice. It was wonderful. It was really, it was really like a lovely, lovely, lovely night. Um, So yes, no, let's talk about these because I think it's an interesting year. I think this is the kind of year... That would be really, really exciting if everybody had watched these movies. Because on the whole, when you look at this list, all right, here's the eight that we have. The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, The Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. You know what's not in these movies? What? Like a war picture or like a Mm. movie that's like lit by candles. You know what I mean? This is a year where there's nothing pandering. There's not like this, I guess we have to nominate that. And when they squeeze it in, there's nothing that says like, I'm a dignified Oscar movie and you are morally obligated to nominate me to fill out this list. There's no filler, which is something that I find so irritating in the Oscars where you're like, oh, we know that you just have to nominate that. We know that that, that, that's not going to win. Like each one of these movies, I think, is exciting in its own way. Was it surprising to you that News of the World wasn't nominated? Because I felt like it's a Tom Hanks film. It felt like it had the cachet. It was definitely put out. I got the screeners of it. Like I saw it on Apple TV all the time. I was surprised that that wasn't in this. That's true. I mean, because they have two empty slots they could have filled and they didn't do it. That movie's weird, by the way. It's like the woke searchers. Did you see that one? I did not. No. So it's basically like Tom Hanks has this job where, you know, he goes from town to town reading the news to people because it's like a pre-newspaper time. So he shows up and he's like, here's what happens. This is the Old West. And he's like, here's what's going on. They're like, oh, man, that's crazy news. And he's like, yeah. Uh, And on the way, he like meets this um, 
girl who was abducted by a native tribe and has been kind of like unloosed. And so he's trying to take her home. So it's basically like if John Wayne and the searchers was a good guy and he's like, it's like, it's woke searchers. I can't really explain it That's better really than that. But it's like if you took yeah. every beat in the searchers, but like there was no complexity. It was just about this world kind of sucks, but Tom Hanks can fix it or make it a little better or read them the real news and not fake news. You know, there's kind of this fake news undercurrent to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Bizarre so interesting. movie, man. Well, can I ask you about one other omission that I thought was interesting because I love this film? Uh, one Night in Miami. Oh, yeah. That's not here. I just I think I've been looking at this list and just seeing it in a hallucination because it feels like it should be. It it felt to me like that was a no-brainer. I thought it was beautifully directed, amazingly acted, and so like a fun, a fun and heavy film that actually, I don't know, it just felt kind of perfect. And I was really surprised it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I could see maybe, oh, you know, maybe it wouldn't get across all categories. Maybe. But I was really surprised. Yeah, One Night in Miami, if people haven't seen it, um, not only is it directed by Regina King, the coolest person on the planet, yeah. but it's inspired by a true story, a, an event that we know happened, which we know yes. that in 1964, there was a night in Miami, one night in Miami, where uh, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, the singer, Jim Brown, the football player, who's like about to transition into being an actor, and Cassius Clay, right before he rechristened himself um, Muhammad Ali, they hung out. They spent a night hanging out. And so it's a movie just about what did they talk about? And what they talked about is a lot about like the responsibilities and the obligations that they feel to be the best version of celebrity that they can. And there's it's, a lot of tussling yeah. about it. And it's really, really intelligent. I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful film and so expertly directed. And the fact that she was not nominated as a director. Think about that. That is a room movie. Like that movie takes place in a hotel room primarily. Um, and to keep a movie like that interesting the amount of tools that you have to use that aren't showy just goes to show you how great of a director she is. Like she took this play and I thought kept it electric and alive, but also didn't just shoot a play. Like it, it had, it felt like a film. I know when I'm being watched, Sam. Boy, your paranoia is really cramping my style now. Come on, just because you can't see bugs don't mean they ain't in the house, Sam. Up on this dirty ass roof. Why don't you be like Bing Crosby about that shit, man, and accentuate the motherfucking positive? Look at this view. And I just want to keep on going with the ones that I'm missing on this list. But why isn't another round in the best picture category? I know it's nominated for best director. And people say, well, it's a it's a foreign movie, but it's not really a foreign movie. I loved another round. I thought it was one of the best films I saw this year as well. And that's not in the uh, the best picture category. <laughs> no, I did get at least a director nom. That movie, I don't think I loved it as much as you did. It's about okay. a group of guys who decide that their lives will be better if they drink just a little bit all day, every day. Yeah. If you have Mads Mikkelsen, who is amazing. I think that movie is okay, but it has the greatest closing five minutes of the year. Oh my like, God. Like, you cannot it's... beat the closing five minutes. Men det er jo ligesom Hemingway. Vi drikker ikke efter otte, og ikke lige igen. Full beautiful ride. It's a, it's an interesting dark comedy that I feel like if you spoke the language, it might be a little bit funnier 
uh, you know, I always feel like comedy through subtitles, it works, but it, you know, it will always have a little bit of a, an element of being lost in translation. But I was thinking about that film in regards to like the Joker. Like, I almost feel like that was a better version of the Joker. Like it kind of put forth this idea of like creating this havoc in your life. And, you know, in a weird way, like if that was a main stream American film, I bet you would have seen a lot of copycat people drinking to get their blood alcohol up to about uh, 0.5. Like, I just felt like it was it was kind of a dangerous movie in the sense that it was pushing forward an idea that I don't think is necessarily safe. And it definitely shows these characters not succeeding in that and actually really failing at certain points. Uh, so I don't know. I just thought it was like, I thought it was a dangerous, kind of edgy, cool movie uh, that, again, just had great performances. I mean, Mads is unbelievable in that. You know, I could see them doing an American remake. Speaking of copycats, oh, I could see yes. them doing it about wine moms. Oh my gosh. Well, maybe yeah. they did with bad moms, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Oh, the drunk, the drunk scenes in bad moms are incredible. But yeah, like my, I have a friend um, who's writing a book about this, about how when she became a mom, the pressure to drink all day, every day, just skyrocketed in her friend oh. group. You know, as a parent, I think sometimes there's this idea like I'm going to reward myself with a glass of wine at the end of every day. And then especially in the pandemic, you know, I think that that was something that people reached to even a little bit more. But, yeah, that it's a weird like celebration. Like I have kids, God damn it. And I'm going to drink. Yeah, I've definitely felt that. I mean, it makes sense. I'm just extrapolating here. But I imagine that having kids is a lot of like reward behavior. Do this. You get a reward. Do this. You get a reward. We were joking about it when my boyfriend and I got our second vax. We pulled over so I could get a McDonald's caramel sundae because that's to me. He said it, it tastes like the flavor of your mom renewing her driver's license. That's you know hilarious. You're so true. It's like I well look. I'm right now solo with my kids. I've been solo with my kids for 30 days. It's been absolutely lovely. But there is this want to pat yourself on the back to be like, oh, I got them through another bath. I've got them down. I read their books. I'm exhausted. I deserve a break today. It's Calgon, take me away. It's that moment that you're all looking for. Like, oh, now I'm taking care of myself. And a lot of the times our self-care is in like eating and drinking, uh, you know. Um, I want to ask about one other movie that's not on here that I thought was going to be a no-brainer, but The Five Bloods. Yes. Yes. Right? The I mean, that was a movie of that- Delroy Lindo from the acting categories is insane. Did it just come out too early? Because I feel like when that movie came out, it was almost at the beginning of the pandemic. It was a big deal because it was like, oh, my God, we have a new movie. We can actually go see a movie. And it was on Netflix. And uh, and I feel like there's so much energy around it. Um, and then it really has just evaporated. It's bizarre, right? I mean, maybe they're thinking like we've been talking about Spike for several years. We can give him a break. Or maybe they're like, we're already nominating Chadwick Boseman, you know, rest of right. these for Ma Rainey's back. Black Bottom. Maybe, I mean, the film is a bit of a mess. Like, it's a crazy-ass film. Like, that movie is insane. Like, yeah. the tone of that movie, it, it's like riding a surfboard in an avalanche. I mean, it, it's not, I guess that's just called, like, what is that called? Snowboarding? Snowboarding. I like that. <laughs> well, it seems dangerous, and I've never done it. And that's what the tone of this movie is. It's, it's all over the place. But Delroy Lindo and his rage just hold it together. I mean, to me, that was one of the greatest performances of the year. So I was I, I thought it was, it was amazing. Goddamn white man going too far. The Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We need to kill some crackers. Our brothers and sisters are burning shit down back home, no? I love you, man, but you're wrong. Dead wrong. Talking about Dr. King. 
You're talking about a man of peace. And that's what got Dr. King killed. I'm as mad as everybody. All us buds got a right to be, but... We bloods. Don't let nobody use our rage against us. We control our rage. And what y'all trying to do right now ain't changing shit. And here is two other ones. I just want to call out some of the movies that I did love that were not nominated. Emma. I loved Emma. Emma was so good, and it really kind of goes, I think, just costume design. But Emma, you know, obviously we've seen the story of Emma a million times in Clueless. We've seen it in Emma. We've seen, you know, we, we've seen that story told. But I thought that movie was really, really good. Really it was fun. Kinetic. I mean, yeah. the movements in it were so crisp and sharp. It was absolutely hilarious. Madam, my visits to Hartfield have been for yourself only and the encouragement I receive. Encouragement? I give you encouragement. You are entirely mistaken, sir. I have no thoughts of matrimony at present. I mean, that Emma might be my favorite version. Maybe. Maybe. It's it close. Really you is know good. I love Clueless. You know yes. I adore Clueless. But this one was great. And I thought people would come out of that movie talking about Mia Gothmore. You know, she's the one who plays oh, kind of the, yes. the Harriet character. Yes. Mm-hmm. I adore her. She's the best thing in every single movie she's ever in. And I'm like, make Mia Goth happen. She is remarkable. Well, you know, you often have your finger on the pulse. I know Lakeith has been your, you've been championing him for a long time and I feel like Are it's been working. First so you person keep... to put him on a cover story. I'll, I'll hold that to the grave. I love that. <laughs> uh, all right. So let me ask you about the one thing that I was hoping was going to happen this year. And I wanted to get your take on it as a film critic, not as like, you know, you could feel a way about it, but I want to really kind of understand this. I was pretty shocked that Borat, the sequel, was not nominated for Best Picture because I felt like, okay, it's an odd year for movies. And Borat is a movie that is primarily shot in the pandemic. Like, there is no better film representative of the year that we just lived through than Borat. And I know Maria Bakalova is nominated, but I really thought this might be the year where a comedy would get nominated for Best Picture because it is so of the moment. We've talked about this in the AFI list where we looked at movies that were, you know, you know, they are truly shooting in Hoovervilles. And, you know, we're, and, and it, this is something that was just in the news. Why do you think it missed the mark? I mean, that would lighten up the Oscars beyond all measure. Yeah. I, like the nomination for Maria Bakalova... That is the sort of nomination that I feel like critics groups can take credit for. Like New sure. York critics did it first. There's that, I think critics are good at setting the table for the strange nominations. Right. Like, hey, we love this. You know, or, or nominating um, Yu Yun Jung from Minari. Is the Academy not ready to nominate a movie where a girl gets period blood all over the place? The answer is maybe yes. I want this one with the baby on it. Okay. This is our little secret. <laughs> Welcome. Okay, I have a baby inside me and I wanna take it out of me. Yeah, and I and it's such a bummer because I do think this movie captures there's so many movies that I think we shot in a pandemic and, you know, we're trying to do this and we're trying to make this. But that one really felt like it captured 
America as it is. It was talking about, uh, I think it has a, a really interesting through line about misogyny. There's such a moment that that could have won. And, and, and look, my, one of my uh, good, good friends directed that. And I was, thought he did an amazing job of putting that together. And, and also knowing how hard it was to shoot in this time and, and get these things. But I think it really represents where we were these last 12 months. I mean, that makes me wonder, are we ever going to want to watch it in the future, though? Will oh, it I be think so. too real? Like, well, I mean, when this when this is over, when I am outside in yeah. bikini top hugging strangers, like, will I want to go back to this place that we've been in? But I think because they captured it in a funny way, you will. That movie is still pound per pound funny. It's not like it's not like, oh, we're embracing the pandemic as much as we are embracing this in weird year that we are in, you know, where Giuliani is running around and having press conferences in front of an adult sex shop, you know, uh, you <laughs> I know, or maybe a near t-shirt for that. And I can't decide if I ever want to wear it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so good. But, you know, and I think like, uh, the idea of like quarantining, but done with those two guys and, and it was actually done in a really interesting way where it was kind of uplifting Like those two guys helped him. And you think you had a different idea of who they were, I don't know. There was an interesting way of showing America that I, I was like, oh, I thought this could be the year that Borat could get in there um, just because of how it came out, what it covered. And also like the collective side that we all have had or many of us have had. Fifty percent of us have had with the change of our president, you know, and um, and I felt like that would be embraced by Hollywood. But I, I don't know. Well, yeah. You know, it's a shame that they missed that on their timing, because I'm sure from right on out. America's just going to be great and there'll be nothing more to make fun of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, look, I want to bring up the final, uh, the final thing. I'm going to group them in three and say this. I want to talk about the Academy Award whiffs. And by that, I mean the movies built to win Academy Awards and be nominated that just whiffed. And those are, to me, Hillbilly Elegy, Greyhound, and Malcolm and Marie. Uh, all three of those felt like they were built, built for award season. And they just didn't get out of the, they didn't, they didn't leave the gate, I feel like. They, I feel like those are like busted plays. And maybe Greyhound is the exception because I think I've heard a lot of people liked Greyhound. It's a really like lean, 90-minute fun movie. But, uh, Hillbilly Elegy, especially, and Malcolm and Marie, especially. I had I got a text from a friend who was like, "This movie is going to win all the awards," and it really just disappeared. Ugh. I mean, Zendaya is great in Malcolm and Marie. She's yeah. really great in that movie. But I mean, let's get real. If you want critics to like your movie, don't make a movie about how critics are the absolute worst people on earth, and like disguise it through like John David Washington when you know you're just whining about yourself. Like that yeah. is the whiniest, bitchiest movie I've ever seen. I mean, the backstory of Malcolm and Marie, the director is this guy, Sam Levinson. Um, of course, he does like Euphoria. But right before he did uh, Euphoria, he did a movie called Assassination Nation that played at Sundance that I reviewed at its opening night. That was the most pandering bullshit I've ever seen in the world disguised as a genre movie. It was a dude that was like, women have it hard. I'm going to make like this like cool movie about how women have it hard, but stare at their ass the whole time and totally not understand anything I'm talking about. And yeah, girl power. So he made this garbage ass movie. Uh, and then he makes 
Malcolm and Marie, which is a movie about how mean critics were and they don't understand his last film. And you know he's just directly bitching about the people who didn't like that movie. That's um, And so, yeah, that's the kind of movie where it comes out and critics are like, oh, fuck you. Who cares? Yeah. And well, it I sucks think- because Zendaya is great. But if she like can extricate herself from that creative relationship, she'll make even better stuff. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea where... There's a moment in pandemic where people are so actively like, we're going to make a movie in the pandemic and show that we can still make movies. And those movies all kind of faltered. I'm very curious to see what this Judd Apatow movie is going to be like, because Judd Apatow is now making a movie about actors who are in a hotel during a pandemic, but he's shooting it now. And going back to your bar at point, do we want to live in that world again? I mean, the actors that he has are absolutely amazing. And I don't guarantee that it's going to be funny, but I wonder how much we want to live in that space, like how much we really want to see things like that. Whereas something like Borat, going back to Borat, it didn't feel trapped, you know, and I feel like this idea of like wanting to be trapped uh, or showing, you know, our what we could do in these confines didn't really translate as well as people thought that they might um, yeah, you know. I think the weirdest one that I saw, and, and tell me if you even saw this movie, because it was very bizarre and I didn't hear anybody else talk about it. It was called Locked Down. Wait, wait oh, this is like um, the Doug Lyman movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Yes. Smith. He did a pandemic movie where it's um, Chiwetel Ejiofor and Anne Hathaway. And they're playing this couple who's getting divorced. And it takes place right at the very beginning of the pandemic in London. And so they're stuck inside. But then they decide to go on like a jewelry heist. It's an insane, insane little movie that just feels the like trailer, a The trailer looked amazing. And then I felt like it came out and everyone's like, nah. And I just, I avoided it because of that. And I'm bummed, but how was it? Was it fun or is it? You know, I am probably the biggest Anne Hathaway champion. I think she's just remarkable. And as soon as we can put down our nonsense and celebrate her and her talents the way that she has earned, we're going to be a better place in this town. Um, She's wonderful in it. He's, he's good. He's actually very good. The movie makes no fucking sense. And you're just like screaming at it. But I appreciated it felt like a period piece even when I saw it in January because you're going back to April yeah. and they're talking about like you're seeing people bang the pots and pans outside, which we stopped doing. Right. And people like two weeks into the pandemic saying, how are we going to deal with this? I'm losing my mind. And you're like, oh, guys, you have no idea. Yeah. You, you have no you, idea. Yeah, we're through it. it. So I like it, I think, more as a time capsule of how bizarre that period was more well, than that, a, like this heist is insane. Y'all need to just yeah. stop. What are you doing? Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. We can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Well, I guess, you know, as we're having this conversation, before we even get into the the pictures that are nominated, it actually was a good year for movies. Like, and we haven't talked about the movies that, 
you know, would never get nominated, like a Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure 3, which I loved and super fun. And I know I mentioned Barb and Star, which I think was amazing. I love this movie, The Assistant with Julia Garner. Like there were so many movies that kind of came out and were accessible to us. And I, and I, I guess I really didn't see your point about the Oscars being a little bit more unique this year because there were so many easy choices and they made a bunch of hard ones. And I think one of the biggest hard ones that they made was, I don't see any nominations for Tenant here in Best Director, Best Picture. And, you know, that was, (laughs) and that was surprising to me too. I thought like at a certain point, like, well, definitely he'll get nominated for, you know, even though, you know, Tenant felt like another one of those movies that was like, and obviously there's a lot of mixed response on that, but I felt like, oh, he'll get a best picture. He'll get a, a best director. Like, so we, they really kind of went in their own way. They, they, all these movies we just talked about all could have or should have been in, but this is an eclectic list. I mean, it feels like the pandemic accelerated the direction that this town has been going in. You know, the sharp division between the movies that the studios are willing to spend money on and then the independent movies that are more interesting. And and conflating that with like the rise of the streaming services, like I don't quite understand why Netflix is so gung ho for Oscars when like they have they make shit like Thunder Force and they have all of the Great British Bake Off and Grey's Anatomy. And like that seems to make their money. But their desire to gain Oscars, I find remarkable. Like at least if people have money in this business, they're also using it to try to make good things. I will say this. Uh, I think that Amazon has done an amazing job at getting behind shows that are good. And I always have this thought about Amazon and maybe it's a very brutal thought, but I will share it with you. It's in their best interest to have the best television and best films because when you will talk about them, you will say, oh, did you see The Boys? It's on Amazon. Did you see Sound of Metal? It's on Amazon. Did you see Borat? It's on Amazon. And you say Amazon and then you go to Amazon and you might go watch that movie, but you might also buy like a power tool. And in many respects, it's the only you know, film streaming company that actually has a front end store. It's like, oh yeah, to get to the, you know, to get to the movie theater, you have to go through Target. And if you're going through Target, show me anyone who can walk out without spending 50 bucks. You know, like it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like that idea that it is all to the purpose of raising Amazon. Amazon oh is the storefront. So I, I think of it like that. And maybe it's a very brutal point of view, but I think the, the business model is smart. It's like, get the best stuff. And if it's the most talked about stuff, people will visit our site and buy our shit and watch our movies. And pe- and it will be, we're saying Amazon and we're saying Amazon. People are like, oh my gosh, I need to get a Sharpie. I'm going to Amazon. I just think it's it's in the zeitgeist. Oh my God. I mean, when you when you frame it like that, it's so depressing. And it makes me, it makes me think like if you ask Paul Verhoeven when he was making RoboCop, what's your sci-fi future for Hollywood? He would describe exactly that. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's an element of all this. I wanted to ask you about this idea of streaming. This is a year where many people were home, which means many people watched these things because we weren't going out to the theater. And every time there was a new release, it was an exciting moment. I, I know I felt that way too. Like when, when, uh, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah came on HBO Max, I was so pumped. And I know in the beginning there was a lot of talk like, oh, we are wrecking cinema because we're not releasing them in the theaters. And, and, but there was 
an accessibility this year to these films. And that's kind of the joke about the Oscars always. It's like, I remember Chris Rock going out to, I may have even mentioned this on the last Oscar show, but Chris Rock going out to like a movie theater, a Magic Johnson movie theater in like Inglewood and going like, what's your favorite movie? And people are like, oh, Fast and Furious. You know, and and it's just showing that people don't watch Oscar movies, but maybe this is the year where because we were so starved for entertainment and a lot of people have streaming, we actually watched more Oscar movies. I wonder if this is the year where most where like the Oscars are actually going to mean something to more people because it was accessible. And I, I hope so. Like it seems surreal when you look at the lineup of streaming service movies that are nominated for best picture that two years ago, can is like, we're not going to play films that are come from streaming services. Like yeah, it, that the old model feels broken. It feels like the big studios kind of gave up this year and they're like, whatever, we're just going to hibernate. We'll see you next year. And so they were already not caring and now it's just over. Like now, now, now we have at least a crop of films that I think feels younger. I didn't do the math on this and I kind of wanted to, it's like, if I do the math of all of the directors of who made like this year's best pictures, is it younger than the years of the past? Cause it feels younger to me, yeah. even though there's like some stalwarts in there, even though we've got like our Fincher in there, it feels fresh. It feels like the shakeup I've been waiting for. I'm excited about it. I really am. And I know I said I've been reticent to like fully dive into these films, but I think a lot of that is my emotional state. But I've also found a lot of these films that I've seen to be kind of uplifting. Like they 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 aren't the typical and then they die movie. Um, and by the way, we will, um, and, and we probably will have a lot of spoilers in here, so we'll warn you, but, uh, before Everybody we say it. Everybody dies in every movie we talk about. Yeah. But I mean, case in point, the movie that I think I want to see the most that I have yet to put on because I'm a little bit daunted by it is Sound of Metal. That is the movie I think you are the most going to love. Really? So I am, I am intrigued by your reticence about it. I just felt like I didn't want to see someone going deaf. I felt like that felt so like, and again, I don't know anything about it. I've not seen a frame. This is what I've put together. Maybe that's not even what the movie is about. I just was like, I don't want to see somebody like struggling and, and, and feeling like he's being cut off from something that he loves because in many respects, I feel like I'm cut off from the people and things that I love. So there was an element of it where I was like, I don't need to see that on screen. Okay, well, you're going to now because it is time for you to watch the trailer for Sound of Metal. You sound great. Yeah, right. What? You told me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. We don't need to to put them all out. I know, but we just need to film Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm going to be like a click track. You can play to me. You have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. found a place. 
I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. We're looking for a solution to, to this. Not this. I need you to wait for me, okay? You're in for me, Lou, you're my part, you're in for me. Okay, you gotta wait for me. Thank you, no thank you, no thank you. <laughs> I've, I'm an emotional wreck from watching that trailer. I, I was feel like I was going to cry. You, you looked like you were going to cry. I've never seen you deflate like that. No, 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 no. It's just too much. I'm Amy, I'm in a fucking raw place. I am I am solo parenting. I'm here. I'm working. It's COVID. I don't need to see this shit. And by the way, <laughs> it looks great. It it looks amazing. I bet you the acting in it is great. No thank you. I love that it's embracing the the community, the deaf community. I love that it's telling that story. I just feel like for me emotionally, whoo, whoo. Ooh, no, no, no. <laughs> wow. Wow. You yeah. are not hearing the emotions. You are not you are not here to hear that. I, I mean, I, I I get it. I do. And I would I think I want to watch it at one point. Just not now. I don't okay. know if I'm emotionally ready, but I don't know. Yeah. Well what the trailer I think doesn't capture is that the film itself has a really punk rock spirit. Like it okay. feels more like kinetic, fun, feisty, aggro. Like he's in an aggro metal band and he comes to this problem with like an aggro metal attitude. Okay. It's a lot more fun. Like th- okay. I think this is framed as like a story of sadness with a bit of yeah. drum beats. It's a it's an angry film in the okay. anger in the energy. I, I think like keep anger. it really alive. And it has um, Olivia Cook in it. You could, you could hear the voice oh, of I love, her yeah. as like his girlfriend. She is one of my absolute favorite actresses that I absolutely, I love absolutely, absolutely, absolutely just want her to be in more stuff. She's fun as hell. Like, she's really fun. So I think if you see it, when you see it in like the year 2024, you're going to be like, no, Amy, it was amazing. Me, if you're telling me this, well, we'll decide. At the end of this episode, I am going to watch one of these. I'm going to watch one of these. And if this is one that you're making the biggest case for, I will trust you. And you know what? I, oh, well, I'm not saying it should win the Oscars. And when I saw the okay. clip, I thought it was just okay. And I'm kind of sure. surprised it was nominated. But it is fun. And it's not going to make you... I mean, my God, you looked like I just came to your house and stole your dog. I just feel... I felt it. I just felt like that. And look, that's because he's such a great actor, too. You could see it on his face. It's like, oh, it just, it just felt... Like a lot of tight spaces and a lot of big emotion. And you know what? Look, we'll get to it at one point. But, uh, you know, Nomadland, I thought was going to bum the fuck out of me. And I loved it. 
Like, I absolutely loved it. So I'm open to, obviously, trailers are built for a certain thing. I'll, I'll keep an open mind. I'll keep an open mind. It's on my list. It's on my list, but it may not be the one I'm going to watch tonight. But I'm going to watch one of them tonight. You're going to have to convince me which okay, one. Okay, fair enough. What that one is about, if this mood will suit you, mm-hmm. is about realizing that life did not pan out the way you wanted and how are you going to deal with it? Right. Relatable. Relatable. Yeah, but since you brought up Nomadland, should we talk about Nomadland? I would love to talk about this. And I feel like this is the favorite, right? Like everyone is kind of saying this is the this is the movie to beat. I think so. I think so. I think it's coming in with the hottest energy. And Chloe Zhao, it, it's stunning. Like, if you told me two years ago that Chloe Zhao was going to get an Oscar nomination this quick for Best Picture or actually even be the favorite, I'd be like, what? That's amazing. She's just this great kind of under the radar, I thought, indie director who was making stuff like The Rider, you know, stuff that looked like it was made yeah. for $10, but had so much style and so much intelligence. And now she's the big dog. You're like, whoa, Chloe Zhao, big dog. Okay. Well, Amy, will this mean that you and I will get to go to a Marvel movie together? Because <gasps> Chloe Zhao is directing the next giant Marvel film, The Eternals, uh, with an amazing cast. I mean, what do you think? Are you open to a Chloe Zhao-directed Marvel film? It's wild. Like, I don't understand how it could work. It's like if you told me that your favorite food was ketchup and whipped cream, I'd be like, I don't get it. I don't, right? I don't see. Well, Sure, I'll try a bite. And actually, I'm really rooting for it. I really hope The Eternals is amazing. And then I hope we get to steal her back. Like, Chloe Zhao has such intelligence that I want to think she is that kind of director who could pop in and be like, I'm giving you one and then I'm going to make four movies for me because I know what I want to be in life. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Kevin, Feige, out, but. Kevin Feige has been in interviews and said that the pitch for Eternals is the best pitch he had ever heard. Wow. And that was her pitch for directing the movie. And so I think that that has to carry some weight. It's to me as a comic book fan, the movie that I go, I don't know how she's going to pull this one off because it doesn't seem straightforward. Um, so I'm curious about that. Like, it's one of the Marvel movies that I'm not yet excited for because I don't know. I, I It's a world in the comic books that doesn't necessarily appeal to me. But I love the cast. I am a fan of hers. So I'm curious. But I know it's not about Marvel right now. It's about this film. Yeah, and but in talking about this film, we'll talk about how what's bizarre is she's making a Marvel movie. I mean, this is yeah. a movie that's all stillness and inward and nobody being like, here's how I feel. And, and the odd thing is that we, we not only accept the tyranny of the dollar, the tyranny of the marketplace, we embrace it. Uh, we gladly throw the yoke of the tyranny of the dollar on and live by it our whole lives. I think of an analogy as a workhorse. The workhorse that is willing to work itself to death and then be put out to pasture. And that's what happens to so many of us. If society was throwing us away and sending us the workhorse out to the pasture, we workhorses had to gather together and take care of each other. And that's what this is all about. The way I see it is that the Titanic is sinking and uh, economic times are changing. And so my goal is to get the lifeboats out and get as many people into the lifeboats as I can. The yin and yang of it, like in the sense of what we know as a Marvel movie, I think I couldn't help but not think of it because it is, you're right, it's like, it's so personal. Like in a weird way, this is a terrible uh, way to frame this film, but I will say it nonetheless. 
It's like you're playing a video game because you are so in the first person perspective of Francis McDormand. It's like, I'm now I'm going over here. Now I'm going to do this. Like, am I in an episode of Grand Theft Auto that just has a lot more dramatic weight? Like, but I just, I think I felt so in her body and the way that was kind of framed, you know, you're really looking in her perspective at certain points. And I don't know, there was just an element to it that, that pulled me in that directing of it really, I felt like I was there. And I feel like this movie does, I think that movie does this in a really smart way because it is a movie about her. It's a very well-written acted film, but it wants you to feel this culture. You feel surrounded by this culture and by casting non-actors. Whoa. I mean, the performances that you get and, and the real that you get there is like, like just breathtaking. Yeah, I mean, when I think about that movie, the word that it comes to my mind keeps being stubbornness. And I think that's why mm. I think about Chloe Zhao in general, is she she and the character that Frances McDormand play in Nomadland seem to come into the world as this is what I want and this is how I feel. And I'm open to stretching, but I know the core of what I'm standing for and you're not going to budge me for that. You know, like, I think you see that in Frances McDormand's character here so strongly. Like, yeah. she... She is she's game to float around on the wind, but who she is is not changeable. Well, and I want to think the same thing about Chloe Zhao, the filmmaker, because all of her films are like, I'm going to do this shot. I'm going to pick this person. And I trust I know that you, the audience, are going to care about it. And I'm just going to do it. And I'm not going to try to, like, beg and plead and make sure that you like my film. I'm not going to pander in any way. Like, there's this certainty to her that I admire a lot and that I, that's what I don't understand is how it's going to fit in like a world of notes and like, Oh, you need to do this. And Oh, we have to do this over here for this box office market. Like, where is that Chloe Zhao going to fit or is she going to make the best but, superhero movie? Of but all by time? the way, she's finished it. They finished the reshoots. <gasps> she didn't walk off the film, you know, and, 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 you know, we saw that with Edgar Wright and Ant-Man, you know, like he couldn't live in those parameters and then went off to go make his film, baby driver, which then I think was in many ways, not a fuck you, but it was like, I'm going to make the movie I want to make the way I want to make it. Nobody give me notes. And I think it was one of his more, or maybe even his most commercially successful film because it felt so pure of him. But it seemed like she was able to do it. I mean, she did do it. And we'll see, you know. Um, but I guess with this film, and thinking about this film, I see it about the stubbornness of grief. And when you are in deep grief, you are in this bubble and, and you don't want to let anybody in and you think you know everything and you are also trying to shed who you were because who you were just brings back memories of the grief that you had. And, you know, this movie really has an interesting bookend where I think it pretty much, let's say that first scene or one of the early scenes in the Walmart where she runs into her family friends and they say, oh, you're homeless. And she is like, no, I, I just don't have like a home. I've just butchered that. And I feel like that's what this movie really does interestingly. And, they, and it puts it in this larger context of like roaming around because I do think when you are in grief, you are rudderless and you are fighting everything. I mean, you know, I... I know it's telling this other story as well, but it, I think that's why the movie actually works really well. It's like it's two stories kind of working in tandem with each other. 
I agree. I think maybe this would be a good film to then segue into The Father, which I think has some of those elements. It's also a film that's very much about rudderlessness and a stubborn personality. Mm. And do you know anything about this movie before we show the trailer? I didn't even know that this movie existed until I looked at this list and I was like, what is The Father? What is this movie? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even know. Okay, well, let's put the trailer on. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937. You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. (laughs) Paris. They don't even speak English there. Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How do you do, sir? I say you're gorgeous. Thank you. (laughs) I must say he's charming. Yeah. Not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is she? I'm here. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes, didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? You see, the situation is very simple. My daughter is of the opinion that I cannot manage on my own. I'm so sorry about this. Why? She understands perfectly. It's important. I explained it all to you. Why do you keep looking as if there's something wrong? Everything is fine. I think she tries to do the best she can for you, Anthony. Everything will be all right. I promise you. There's something funny going on. Now that I want to see. You do? Yeah. I want to see that movie. I think it, it like, all right, so here's my take on it. Uh, I, I will say this. It's a movie about dementia, but shot like a Spike Jones film. You nailed it. You actually yeah. really nailed it. This film, to me, it, it's kind of like a almost a Kaufman film is what I was thinking yeah. too. Like. It's a movie where Anthony Hopkins, yes, it's he has dementia. Most of the movie takes place inside an apartment, except the apartment keeps slowly changing under your feet. So as you're watching yeah. as the audience, like you're turning and there was a door there, but now there's not. And there was a vase there and there's not. And it, it seems keeps shifting awesome. around and you get kind of confused and angry. And, and you have a character at the center, you know, Anthony Hopkins being the man who's like undergoing dementia. And you're just living in his headspace because you're so scrambled. And he's he doesn't play that part like a sad, sad victim. He gets angrier and angrier and well, full of rage. And he takes it out on his daughter, who's played by Olivia Coleman. I mean, this is a movie I honestly didn't want. This is the movie I didn't want to see when I was building yeah. up to the awards. And my one of my critic friends was like, you have to. And I'm so glad she pushed me. Well, there's something about it that 
again, we're talking about this the uh, the Oscars going in a different direction, angry direction, right? So far, there's a lot of anger, right? So far, the the three movies we just talked about all deal with anger, um, and we'll continue. We may continue to see that. Um, so I think that's interesting, that tone, right? And I think the typical Academy Award film that we have seen shows this um, through the daughter's perspective, right? And we see the sad, we see him unraveling, but this being in his perspective is amazing. And I want to say one thing about Anthony Hopkins, and I feel like it bears repeating to anyone out there who is creative, anyone out there who uh, feels unseen. I've heard the story I'm going to share it because it doesn't wreck anything. Um, Anthony Hopkins was with an agency that was not getting him parts for anything. They just stopped calling him. And another agency picked him up and they were like, oh, you know, have you retired? And he was like, no, I want to work. Get me to work. Like, and to see him in this, like, he's got so much, like, he's not... You know, I think in many respects, like for a couple of years, there, I think people just assumed, oh, he's going that Sean Connery route, that route where it's like we don't really see them. And maybe every now and then they'll do a movie. But like he seems to be on top of his fucking game. I mean, even if you look at his TikToks. Yeah. Oh, he's on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. It's great. I mean, he is having a great run between this, between the two popes last year. Like, yeah. It, it's like. Anthony Hopkins, who was in The Wolfman, is now far, far away. Like, to yeah. me, The Father is just such a masterfully done film that I'm really excited for people to see it. Like, I think if you, it reminded me of I'm Thinking of Ending Things, a film that I also think is missing from this list that I loved yeah. greatly, that isn't even nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. That makes me incredibly mad. But it has that same kind of tone of living in a heightened dream. I like films that. I like films that fuck with me, if I can but be honest. Amy, like, I like a film that uh, that makes me the audience aware I'm the audience. But, you know, yeah. I guess my question to you is why isn't the director of this film nominated? I don't even know who the director is. And what you've just described is purely in the directing, right? I mean, you know, that idea of like keeping a, fl- I mean, just that trailer, I'm like, that director should be nominated. Yeah. I mean, it's the director's first film. Uh, his name is Florian Zeller. I think we'll definitely be seeing him again. I mean, According to The Guardian, role. by the way, he is the most exciting playwright of our time. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, so, like, yeah. Oh, that's right. The Father is based on his own play. Like, this is the kind of movie that would make so much sense as a play to kind of capture the shifting tangibility of the world that you're living in through, like, He's also a novelist. Props. He's a novelist wow. and a playwriter. Like, it seems like, based on what I'm looking at here, that everyone loves Olivia Coleman, and you should love Olivia Coleman because she's fucking phenomenal and everyone loves Anthony Hopkins, but they're forgetting, and this is something I always feel so strongly about, that there's a person behind the camera. Like, why you like them is because they've paired with the right person. We just talked about that with Chloe Zhao. I know I mentioned it with my buddy Jason Wolner. I think Jason did an amazing job at Borat. Like, Borat is amazing, but someone is shooting that. Someone is planning that. Someone is orchestrating and editing and putting that stuff together. And the reason why you love it so much is because that person is there behind the scenes making it work. And uh, yeah, I, I just feel like sometimes we forget it because we just look at what's in front of our face. It, it kind of drives me crazy because a really well-directed movie sometimes, uh, you, know, you, you know, we talked about with Regina, with, with Regina King. 
Like, that movie's really well directed, but it doesn't seem it because it's not flashy, but yet it is flashy because it's so wow. simple and effective. And you know what both of them have in common is they're just character pieces inside a room. So mm. is, there, is it just like, you're not going outside and showing me the sunset. There can't be anything in this movie. Where's my sunset? Give me a sunset or I'm not going to believe there's a director here. If I just see walls, I'm just going to yeah. think it's just the actors roaming around. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I guess maybe I'm all like up in arms because I also feel like, and not to take away from the father right now, but, you know, I'm, I feel this way with Miranda July and Kelly Reichardt, too. Like, I feel like they made great movies this year. First Cow and uh, it was a gazillionaire. Oh, gazillionaire. C- yeah. Gazillionaire. You know, and maybe that's not best picture material, but uh, I really liked it a lot. Oh, um, first Cow is best picture material. I am oh, shocked first cow. that that first didn't cow. get a nomination. I don't understand why First Cow didn't get a nomination. Like, and I don't understand why Kelly Reichardt didn't get like, this make, and we talked about Kelly with Ryan Johnson, uh, who kind of opened my eyes to her, and that movie is phenomenal. My mother died when I was born, and then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. Well, it's no place for white men either. I sense opportunity here. But I That's guess. That's right. Yeah, she was one know, of Ryan Johnson's picks. And at the time, I was like, eh, Meek's cutoff is okay. I never clicked into it as much as Ryan loves it. But this film, First Cow, is the first Kelly Record film I think I've loved. Oh, I don't know why good. I was never on her frequency until this one. Yeah, and look, I think that that kind of works. I I just feel like uh, there are a lot of exciting directors, and not to poo-poo anything, because I think a lot of exciting directors are nominated, but I also feel like there's a lot of uh, things that aren't nominated this year that are also very exciting and cool, you know? And, and sometimes I think our... I just never understand why Best Pictures don't get nominated for Best Director just across... It's a weird, it's a weird thing to say this is the best movie, but we don't think that it's the best director. I don't understand. I, and I know it's an age old discussion, but it makes no fucking sense. No, it's true. And while we're kind of having this little rant, if people haven't seen Conjillionaire, that movie is so fun. It's so I have my fun. problems with like kind of how the plot plays out at the end. Sure. But, but that performance from Evan Rachel Wood playing a character named Old Dolio, the best character name of all oh. time. Old Dolio. And when she explains why she's named Old Dolio, you kind of want to cry. And having her insane parents. I mean, Richard Jenkins is just one of my favorite actors of all time. Like, I thought the Uh, the last 10 minutes were kind of dumb. But up until that, I really adored this film. I just really, I really loved it. And I just think it's, uh, again, a lot of movies that I've felt like I gravitated towards and and so far we are we're in a good zone. We're not we're not saying they missed, but we allow the best picture to be you know, collapsible or expandable, but director, not so much. I almost feel like we just need to get in and start revamping these categories, right? Because I do believe that best picture and director should be synonymous. Like, it just should. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah. it's like, that's my favorite car, but we are not the engine we don't like. <laughs> and it's like, well, but then it's not a car. It's just the thing. You know, it's like it's a weird way of looking at things. I don't know. I mean, it's a larger discussion. But I think, you know, Oscars have been making a lot of changes. And that would be an interesting change just to be like, I mean, yeah. I'd make room just by getting rid of David Fincher from Mank this year for director, too. I'm oh, like, well, eh, he doesn't have to be there. 
Should we get into Mank? I mean, it's, it's another movie I haven't seen, but uh, I'm down to watch a trailer of it. And by the way, it was a movie that I felt like, do I have to see this? Because I know it's about Citizen Kane, and we talked about Citizen Kane, and I've, I have good feelings about that, and I really love David Fincher, and I like uh, Gary Oldman. I've seen the posters as I've driven around L.A., and it looks interesting. Uh, but everyone I've talked to has been like, stay far, far away from Mank. Is that what kept you from it? Because it yes. seems like a movie you should have watched. It, it, if I didn't listen to popular opinion and the jokes that people made about how boring Mank was, I would have watched it. Okay, well, let's Mank it up, baby. All right. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talked. Ready and willing to hunt a great white whale? Just call me Ahab. Tell the story you know. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. This is different. This is about something. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. I gave you a second chance. How wealth and influence can crush a man. Are you hoping I might absolve you of such a personal betrayal? You made yourself court jester. Nobody but nobody makes a monkey out of William Randolph. You pick a fight with Willie, you are finished. Mank. Mr. Mankowitz. Well, now I want to see that, but I guarantee you it's not shot like that. It's presented like an old, you know, 1920s film. And I bet you it's not there. That's more pizzazz than the film actually has. That is definitely more pizzazz than the film actually has. And they cut out like half of what the film is about, which is the gubernatorial race of Upton Sinclair of 1934. Okay. yeah, yeah, like the film is really a political film. It's a flashback film in a way. Like it, half the time is spent watching Mankowitz try to write Mank while being drunk in bed um, with a broken leg. And the other half is flashing back to when he became jaded with Hollywood. And the movie puts forth the idea that his anger at William Hurst came when Hurst and many of the Hollywood bosses rat fucked this candidate, um, Upton Sinclair, who was running for governor. Have you ever heard this story? I can tell it to you in like two seconds no, yeah, if you're please, curious yeah. about it. Uh, we actually did a podcast about it earlier this summer on my other podcast, Zoom, about this gubernatorial race because it was a big deal here in California. Okay, so in two seconds, basically Upton Sinclair was like the Bernie Sanders of the 30s. And he took stock of the depression and he was like, okay, we need more work programs. We need to help the poor. We need to redistribute the wealth. We need to take some of this money probably money from the studio bosses and give it to the poor and put more people to work. He had this whole new plan that um, he thought was going to reestablish equilibrium in this town. And he was incredibly popular. Like when they first put his name forth, he was winning. He was like trouncing the competition. And then Hollywood put to work dismantling him in his campaign. They started to do these like fake newsreels, which you see in Mank, where um, they pretended they were news. And they're like, man on the street, who are you going to vote for? And the way they edited it was that all of the respectable looking like people said they were voting for the Republican candidate and all of the kind of wackadoo poor people and the people of color all said that they were going to vote for Upton Sinclair. And they made these kind of lies about him that he was like the, the candidate for crazy people. And they even used stills from Hollywood movies about bums getting on train cars to say that those were people coming to California because they were excited that Upton Sinclair was going to give them free money. So oh, he lost. Interesting. Okay. And so the movie pretends that that campaign, which is fascinating, I'm obsessed with yeah. that campaign, turned Mank against the system and made him hate Hearst. And he put that anger towards Hearst 
into Citizen Kane. None of that is true. That's all complete bullshit. But it, it's a sort of fun theory. Okay. This all sounds amazing. What doesn't work here? Oh, well, I like Mank more than most people. Okay. But to me, knowing that it's lies is really hard for me to deal with. Like, knowing okay. that it's just not true is well, but really we're coming, but, but we're coming uh, off of this, though, in yeah. a way, right? Like, in the sense that, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've been watching in the Underdog series is based in a truth, but it's movied up. Is this different yeah. than that? Yes, yes. And it's so easily disproven that I find it kind of frustrating. Like Mankiewicz, you know, in this movie, Mankiewicz is like a friend of unions. And in real life, Mankiewicz was like, unions are dumb. And he took out a whole page ad in Variety about how the WJ was a crock and nobody should join it. Okay. Um, I think there are parts of this movie that are terrific. Like anything where um, Amanda Seyfried shows up as as really Marion like Davies is amazing. She's one of my. She's also. I'm listening just to tons of favorite actresses, but she's really up there. Her Marion Davies captures a bit of who Marion Davies really was. Like Marion Davies is the most charming sociopath you'd ever meet in your entire life. Like she's a crazy person. Like if you ever read her autobiography, it, uh -huh. I'm obsessed with it because like one of the things she goes on a rant of is that. She and hers go to Germany and all she wants to do is meet Hitler because she just thinks it'd be really fun to come back to America and tell people oh, she met Hitler. Oh my gosh. But Hitler won't meet her unless Hearst comes and Hearst has principles and Hearst won't come. So she keeps chasing Hitler all around Germany, trying to meet him. People be like, he's over here. And she'd race over there and she couldn't meet Hitler. Like that's Marion Davies. She's just like, it's a funny story, completely sociopathic in how her feelings play out. And you get a little glimpse of it, like in one scene, that that's who she is, that she's a person who the worst thing you can do in the world is not start World War II. It's like be rude at one of her parties. So <laughs> it doesn't hit it hard, but it's here. Although for most of the movie, she's just really charming and wonderful, which she could yeah. also be when she wasn't like a fucking monster. Don't even get me started on like now. Now I'm jacked. I'm like, oh, her comments on the internment of the Japanese near their estates are just reprehensible. And, and yet, and yet she is well-performed here by uh, by Amanda Seyfried, who I think is well-deserving of the Oscar nom she gets. I think my All issue right. is I thought Mank didn't look that good. Like, watching that trailer, I was like, oh, these camera angles look great. Oh, it looks really crisp. Yeah. But the movie itself felt really muddy. And the fact that it's been nominated for, like, it won all of our best production design awards and most of the critics groups, which made me mad. It's just like you go to a thing, you rent an old camera, you rent an old car. Who cares? Like it wasn't production design the way that the way that like I'm thinking of ending things. It tells a story through production. Well, it's just now like, I'm, here's now a I'm cool starting thing. to feel like this is a this is a, a thing in an ending things kind of podcast. Because I, oh, I, no. I, I think we need I to. But that. I think I love that movie. But I think we need to talk about this. Like, I, I, you know, because we've definitely talked about Mank here, but I think. You know, we're talking about Fincher and then we're talking about Charlie Kaufman. And those are kind of the old school people that we understand as they're going to make Oscar winning films. And both of them are given this moment at Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, Go make Netflix. your thing. Go make your thing unencumbered. And, and that's kind of the complaint I've heard about both. Yeah, they almost had too much free reign. I haven't seen either. I haven't seen either because I was put off by the reviews of both of them. Now, meanwhile, am I reading Charlie Kaufman's book right now? I am, and I'm loving it. It's great. Um, but I am a fan of Charlie Kaufman. I just avoided it because I felt like I was going to bum me out. But talk to me about this movie. Why maybe 
Charlie Kaufman succeeded where Mank failed. I will. I mean, I do agree that I think a corset would be better for both of them to to bump up against, to at least have to justify mm-hmm. what they're doing. But oh gosh, I mean, I'm thinking many things. This is a movie that I've seen twice, and I feel like I'm suddenly even struggling to talk about what it is because well, I've, it's that's such what I've a kind of heard. in the it's moment a, experience. Yeah. About. Well, maybe that's better to yeah. leave it at that. Like maybe, I, you know, because I do feel like Charlie Kaufman movies are better to like fall into, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like it sounds cheap at the end of a Charlie Kaufman film to be like, this is what it's about. When it feels more about the mood of how it plays out, there is a sense of humor and I'm thinking about ending things that yeah. I really admire. Like uh, he... To me, even though his films are incredibly tragic, they're always so funny. And I think they get short shifted for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd watch that movie. I'd wa- It's long. They're both long. Maybe that's the thing. Like Netflix movies, they just let them go a little bit longer than well, you want. That, that's kind of what I feel like a lot. Like it, it, uh, I, I, I think that there is going to be a time where we are going to decide to start making features as series. Like, I loved Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You. And that could have been a movie. Like, structurally, you could make that a film. But the reason why it's so wonderful and the reason why it's perfect is because it was stretched out to a series. You got to live in that world. I feel the same way about uh, Damon Lindelof's The Watchmen. We've seen it on screen. But the fact that he was able to tell that story in 10 hours and be done with it is it there's just a different way of telling bigger stories i think you know i i even you know look i like snyder cut of justice league just fine um and what i appreciated about the snyder cut was that it was a director making the film that he wanted to make right and at a certain point like all these people whether it's the irishman of last year whether it's mank or whether it's uh, i'm thinking of ending things all these movies are directors being unfettered and making what they want to make. So in that world, I love that. But I even think that uh, Zack Snyder did a great job of chapterizing it, like making it a little bit more like, okay, these are bite-sized chunks. You can come back and go away. I think we're getting to a problem where we're overloading films. I saw yesterday, and maybe I'm wrong because it's on Google, so I don't trust it 100%, but that the running time for Fast and Furious 9 is three hours and eight minutes. Oh, my God. It's like, these are not like... Not everything is Ben-Hur. Like, not everything is Ben-Hur. And then when Ben-Hur used to come out or these big... And not that I want everything to even be Ben-Hur, but, you know, epics were epics, you know, for a reason and were paced in a certain way. Now I feel like everyone's just like, it's almost like we're spending this much money, let's go, it's bigger, bigger. It, like, it feels bloated at points. And I, I think that, you know, that's why I feel like Greyhound, even though I kind of was saying it was Oscar bait, was so well received because people are like, oh, it's so fun. It's short. And it's, they didn't feel bloated. I think we're, we're longing for things that don't feel bloated. It's true. Every time on the show, when we watch an old movie, um, that in my head, I imagine being really long and it's like 93 minutes. I'm stunned. I, I think like a league of their own was able to get through this whole story in an hour and a half. Like, why do we need three yes. hours of a fast and furious movie? And the original cut was four hours, which we talked about. Like, but they cut it down. I think that there is yeah. keep the good some, shit, man. Just keep the yeah. good shit. Sometimes <laughs> that's not yeah. how an editing job works. Well, for ten for today, I will tell you that in making NTSF, uh, which is a show I did for Adult Swim, 
um, we had to keep the show, you know, it's a 15 minute show. So it was like 11 minutes and 40 seconds, some, something in there to like, so we had to have the commercial break in there as well. Um, it was an amazing tool to be like, what do I need? And, and how do I write? And, and in a weird way, I think it's kind of busted me because doing that in human giant, it was all about paring it down, paring it down, paring it, you know, paring it down. And even when I've been writing comic books or, you know, it's paring it down, paring it down, paring it down. And I've never had, I like the idea of someone saying, you got to get it all done in this time. I think it's possible or it's not the right format. And maybe that's, maybe that's an argument too. Like, does everything need to be a movie? Does every great piece of work need to be a movie? Like, I think we're seeing more and more that we can have these one season shows that are wonderful, like a season of Fargo or a season of the shows that we just mentioned, you know, that are movies. They are just full on movies um, just presented as a series. Oh, well, now I get defensive. I'm like, leave our movies alone, though. I feel like TVs are winning everything. Let us at least have them. Well, but, but I mean, but is there any difference thing, at like, this movies point? Movies don't have to compete. Yeah. Well, I guess the difference I mean, but is, is just I don't feel pressured to review TV. But I guess the, the thought is, for most people, I know we're getting into like a lot of bigger issues right now, too. But for most people, they look at uh, Mank. And Mank is next to Parks and Recreation on Netflix, right? On, in, in some world, right? Uh, they're in the sh- same screen. And there is that, that line is becoming less and less important to many people. Um, I think right now know, what we need to do is ban the word content. We just need to ban it before this goes too far. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I know we're, we're, we're talking all over the place. I'm, I'm loving these conversations because I feel like we're getting to talk about a lot of great movies. And if you have not seen these movies... Uh, hopefully we're giving you some good ideas of what to go check out. But I will say the movie I was so excited to see this year and it definitely worked for me was Judas and the Black Messiah. I loved this movie. I loved, loved, loved this movie. I thought it was super electric and I learned something and it forced me to like go and read more about uh, these characters. And I love the way it was shot. I just... I just, this movie worked for me in many, many ways. Me too. Me too. I think it had a playfulness, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. I'm thinking about like Lakeith Stanfield trying to rob Carl, like that that yeah. first robbery that he does that winds up getting him in trouble and making him be an informant. Yeah. It, it has a wit that I enjoyed. But the strange thing, I mean, do you find it strange at all that like, According to the Academy Award, there is no best actor in Judas and the Black Messiah. There's just Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield as supporting actors. This is all bullshit. There's no actor in it. There's no. This is bull, bull, bullshit. And you know what? And I appreciate Lakeith calling it out, but I also wonder if we're not seeing the machinations of a studio. Oh, it's almost certainly the studio, don't you? Yeah, because I've been involved in certain projects where. I've seen people that are leads put in supporting categories because they don't want them to compete with leads and uh, or they only want to put up one lead in one category and not have them compete. So there's a lot of like weird interplay that goes on here. Um, And it's it's weird. It's a it's a weird thing. But I don't like I think that this is like gaming the system like it's it's. I don't I don't see this as like the Oscars making a bad choice. I just see this as like they fell victim to 
uh, a machine that is so good at finessing how they want people to be presented. Although in this one, I don't understand it because, I mean, maybe they're like, maybe we want to double our chances to get a best supporting. I I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's bizarre because now one of their people is definitely losing. And I think this this supporting actor category is maybe my favorite best supporting actor we've had at the Oscars it's, in a long time. I mean, it's have, always stacked. It's the best one, yeah. actor and actress. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's got it's got the weirdest nominees this year. You've got Sasha Baron Cohen, you've got Daniel Kaluuya, you've got Leslie Odom Jr., Paul Racy, and Lakeith Stanfield. Like, do you this- think that that Sasha nomination is a Borat nomination? Yes. Yeah, I do too. I have not seen Trial of Chicago Seven, but I believe that to be the case. Yeah, well, we'll get to Trial of Chicago uh, yeah. 7 in a second. He yeah. is very fun in it. But yeah, back to Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. I'm glad this movie got nominated. It felt like when that kind of slid in late, you know, kind of like sliding yeah. into the Oscars, like sliding into the DMs being like, don't forget about me. I'm here. Yeah, like I have my quibbles with it. Like you and I had our little back and forth about like, is is Daniel Kaluuya too old to play Fred Hampton, right, a character yeah. who died when he was 21 years old? And I, I still say yes. And... If I could rework this movie a little bit, I'd love to have a little bit more Lakeith and maybe a little less of of Daniel Kaluuya. I want it to just be slightly more Lakeith's movie. I, I yeah. think his performance in this is incredible. It's just this hangdog, absolutely trapped energy. When you see Lakeith in his early scenes, the character like Bill O'Neill, start to realize he can believe in something, that there are good things in this world he can fall behind and he can have a community where he's not alone. You know, where there's a chance for positivity and then get absolutely just slammed shut in this machine of being trapped, being an informer. A thing that's still happening today all over America. People getting trapped in the system of being an informer and then getting devastated because of it. Let me ask you something. If this building caught fire right now, what would y'all worry about, huh? Water and escape. If somebody would ask you, what's your culture during this fire, brother? Water. That's my culture. Well, how about your politics? Water and escape. Well, guess what? America's on fire right now. And until that fire's extinguished, don't nothing else mean a goddamn thing. I mean, when you saw that, that one turn that he makes, and I haven't seen it in a little while, but that one turn that he makes when, uh, you know, that when the place is vandalized... And he, and it's his, you know, he did it, you know, and, and, and the way that he kind of turn, like you see him, he gets in the car and the, the, the camera follows him. It's, it's so beautifully done. He is such an interesting actor. And we talked about it already. You called it, uh, but really like a majority of what he does so well in that film is in his eyes. Yeah. And it's it's so small and so good. And I think Daniel Kaluuya is really, really great. Um, and I love him. And I feel like it's a very different role for him. And I feel like, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm excited to continue to watch him. But it it feels to me like this is a Keith's movie. It opens on him and it ends on him. Like that's that's the story. I agree. And you're right. You look at his eyes and they are just they're welling with like guilt and fear and confusion. He plays these characters that they make you want to protect them even when they're doing the worst things. Yeah. You know, like I'm thinking of, of course, of like, sorry to bother you, but I'm thinking of everything he's done. I mean, all the way going back to like short term 12, like he, 
His characters. Wait, he are, was in Short Term Twelve. That's like I, I forgot that he was. Like I just yeah. talking about that movie the other day because I I was saying it's a great movie that not many people have seen with like some of the best actors. Oh my gosh, yeah, he's okay. Wow. Yeah, that's his breakout. He's the kid who does the song on a bed. That yes, was you're right. You're right. You're right. Wow. Stanfield. Yeah. Yeah. He. I don't know. I just think he's such an exciting talent. You've heard me say this like ninety million times. And so to have him get an Oscar nomination is wonderful. Well, and, and I. Oh, sorry. I want to say one thing, too. Like, I also want to just call out what I think is so exciting about this movie is the Fred Hampton of it all. Mm-hmm. I'm, I will admit, I did not know about Fred Hampton. I did not. I, you know, I'm trying to be better versed in, in history and trying to understand, uh, trying to open my worldview in many ways. Fred Hampton was something that just I didn't know. And I feel like whenever I see a film like, yes, Mank, I get it. Sure. But Fred Hampton is such a it, like it's. Uh, there's something about this character and and opening him up to a bigger world and kind of being able to celebrate him a little bit um, and and show this kind of fucked up thing that went on. Like, that also makes the film exciting, I think. It's like you're learning in a good way. I think One Night in Miami has elements of that, although we know all those people, it just, but it does feel like, ooh, we're inside this room with all these people. It's so cool. You know, but I think that the Fred Hampton thing, I, I went and, and read and read and learned and, and watched that documentary about Fred Hampton that was shot when he was actually assassinated. It's, it's amazing. It really is. It really is. So I think, I mean, to me, a lot of the movies we're listing so far, like I don't think Sound of Metal is going to win Best Picture and I don't think mm-hmm. Judas and the Maasai is going to win Best Picture. I don't think The Father is going to win Best Picture. But we're talking about... Do you think Lakeith might? Maybe. But I think we're at who, least talking about like this crop of fresh talents who are going to go on and make like 90 million amazing things. Like yeah. Shaka King, the director of Judas and the Black Messiah, amazingly talented, smart, cool as hell, dude. Yeah, he like, seems awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. I mean, speaking of young cool people, now we should really talk about Emerald Fennel and Promising Young Woman, which we've talked about to death, so we won't have to yes, go too far into it. we did a full it. episode, yeah. But at the time we talked about it, it wasn't a Best Picture nominee. Like, what a no. twisted, fun-as-hell Best Picture nominee. Well, by the way, just to kind of continue our thought through all of this, yet another movie about anger, right? Like, we, mm-hmm. uh, you can maybe speak to Mank more than I can, because I haven't seen it, but so far, all of these movies are pretty angry movies. Mank is very uh, like, angry, yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, and this is interesting, and I think that Promising Young Woman captured something that was incredibly div- uh, divisive, at least that I saw that. I've talked to people who, like, hate it, and people who absolutely love it. Like, I talked to June after she had seen it, and she's like, I'm shaking. Like, that end made me shake, and I felt the same way. I, I, when it was over, I just sat, like, that's it? I want more. I, I don't even know. I, it just kind of took me. 
My assistant says that you are interested in resuming med school. That's right. May I ask what prompted your desire to get back to your studies? I guess I couldn't stop thinking about my time here. Yeah, that's an extraordinary place. It's an unusual request. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. Oh. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we, lo- we love this movie. We love this movie. And what do you think was the turning point to make it an Academy Award movie? I wonder, because I would have bet that there was another film that might have taken the slot instead also like a female directed film from focus features the one never rarely sometimes always oh, i did I'll not like that movie the title. i hated i didn't like i did not like either. that one i did not like it no that movie oh 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 you've heard me rant about this like you I, yeah no i will save the people now but i will just say every problem with that movie boils down to that suitcase what is in that suitcase? Uh, Why did they pack that stupid suitcase? Why do we watch them put sweaters in it and changes of clothes that they never actually take out? Why, if they packed a suitcase, are they surprised they have to stay in New York overnight? Why do they never open the suitcase? Why is it just this physical albatross they have to carry from place to place? Because it's a metaphor for the baby in her belly. But you can't have a metaphor in a film that's trying to be that naturalistic. Right. Well, uh-huh. I don't know about that. Well, I'm going to say it. I'm going to make a rule. If you're really going for like the naturalism where nobody talks to each other, then you don't get a suitcase. Okay. Fair enough. Like, If you get a suitcase that big, change clothes at least. If you get a suitcase that big, you know you're spending the night. We know. We already saw (sighs) you pack it. We know. Why are you shocked? They're kids. They're kids. Um, I was that age. You you, you take a backpack if if you do anything. I, I would I just want to say it one more time just to kind of lay it out and say that uh you know uh Carrie Mulligan is a fucking national treasure and mm-hmm. she was amazing in that film and I think that she has some tough competition when you look at that those categ- that category yeah. but I also feel like <sighs> I don't know I don't know I mean Frances McDormand is phenomenal she's always phenomenal right but I was not blown away by Frances McDormand's acting in the sense of I've seen her do similar stuff and I like what she does and she's always amazing. But Carrie Mulligan really kind of took my breath away. Yeah. Yeah. I really think it's a standout. Frances is Frances. Like Frances is amazing. This is. Yes. This is a performance I think only Carrie could do. Viola Davis is great in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, Chad Bose, Chadwick Boseman, who's also nominated Best Actor for that. He's incredible in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Now, why isn't that nominated for Best Picture? That I don't know either. That's kind of okay. strange. Like, that's strange. Yeah. If Since we're detouring to the Best Actress group, 
where I actually have not seen one of these films yet. The United States versus Billie Holiday didn't do a big Oscar push with us, like at all, or right. a big awards push at all. They didn't, like, we never saw that movie. It didn't They didn't um, show it to us before. So I have not caught up with it. And I really, I'm going to before the Oscars. That'll be my homework because oh, interesting. I hear this Andrew Day performance is amazing and I can't wait to see it. And Vanessa it's streaming Kirby. on Hulu. Oh, perfect. And I've talked to so many, directed by Lee Daniels, and people love it. Like, absolutely love it. I mean, I love Lee Daniels. I'm the, the yeah. Paperboy's biggest fan, so I need to see it. Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, she's nominated mostly for the opening 30 minutes, which are, it's a single track shot of a woman giving birth, and it is outstanding. Wow. Like, I, I cannot recommend the first half of that enough. You're just like, how how did she do this? How And that's a Netflix movie this? right now. That's a Netflix yeah. film. Um, wow, I should watch that. I mean, the rest of the movie, not so hot. It's good. It's good. It's good. There's like a really messy, angry Shia LaBeouf performance in there, but the movie mm-hmm. belongs to her. And she's an actress that I think is only newly kind of popping off. She was in a Mission Impossible. Oh, she, she was, was so great in that. So yeah. great in that. And so I think this is kind of the award that says, we accept you now. Welcome to Hollywood. It's kind of like the, who was Vanessa Kirby? She had like five minutes in this movie, five minutes in this movie. Now she's a thing. Well, we have two left in the best picture category. Um, one I've seen and one I have not. And, uh, I guess maybe we should jump to the one I haven't so we can kind of end on, uh, the one that I can maybe speak to more, but this is the trial of the Chicago seven. Let's uh, take a listen to the trailer for me. You know why you're on trial here? You all right? It was until I saw that. Martin's dead. Bobby's dead. Jesus is dead. They tried it peacefully. We gonna try something else. Rebels without a job. They're a threat to national security. It's revolution. We may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Get out of the street! Get out of the street! When you came to Chicago, were you hoping to draw the police into a confrontation? I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Yeah, I want to see that movie. I want to see that movie. I don't know why I haven't seen that movie. It's got everybody that I fucking love in that movie. I actually auditioned for that movie when Steven Spielberg was going to make that movie. That was like 10 years ago, right? I know. It was like one of my first things I ever did when I came out to Hollywood. Who'd you audition um, for? God, I don't even remember at this point. I was so freaked out uh, that I was doing anything that Steven Spielberg might look at. Um, but... Uh, even probably comical that I think he was looking for at that point, Spielberg was looking for unknown actors who were in like comedy and performance and that he wanted like that kind of a vibe. But that's why I think I was even, even brought in. Um, but this looks great to me. It's great. It's great. Yeah? I mean, this seems to me like the most old fashioned of the nominees. This and maybe mm-hmm. Mank. Aaron um, Sorkin written, Ready to go, you know. 
Yeah. And I want to kind of give the caveat that I did not know enough of this history coming in to know what parts are kind of bullshit. Like I've heard that people who really know this stuff are like, come on. It was all new to me. And so mm-hmm. being new to me coming in with those baby eyes, I was like, this is great. I'm just digging this. Like I'm digging all of all of the like um, clapbacks from Abby yeah. Hoffman. I'm digging the relevancy, you know, especially coming after a summer of protests with I'm sure more and more protests to have to come, you know, as we try to push this nation in the right direction to watch how footage of a, a protest that turns violent gets broken down. Something that we are doing constantly on the news still like it to see the relevancy of what it is like to try to join a movement, to try to keep order, to try to be safe, to see things get aggravated, to see, you know, violence get instigated in the by the cops, which happens here. It felt as fresh as anything I've seen, even though it is kind of the most standard biopic, snarky, snark, quip, quip, clap back, like yeah. ending with title cards about what happened to everybody else afterwards. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Oh, and you know who's really good? I've been failing on this. I know that I need to be watching. Um, is he in su- Succession? Yeah, Jeremy Strong, who plays oh, yeah, like one great. of the yippies. He plays Jerry Rubin, who's like kind of the sidekick man to Sasha Baron Cohen. He yeah. was amazing. Like he's the one that I came out of this movie being like, I didn't know you when I came in, and I really love you now. Well, I mean, look, I've told you, you got to watch Succession. Like that show is for you. You would love that show, uh, without a doubt. Um, and. You know, I do feel like uh, the performances in that are, are phenomenal, just phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, you're right. He's fantastic. In it. And like, and look, I, I like Mark Rylance, too, who I feel like has always given a great performance in here as well. Like there's this is like this is like the actor. This is like the actor's actor's uh, movie here. Yeah, it really is. John Carroll Lynch. He's fantastic. Oh, in so this. fucking good. Like, everybody is. I mean, I go back and forth on Eddie Redmayne. This is to me a tolerable Eddie Redmayne. I was fine okay. with him. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, but yeah, anything. That but Aaron Sorkin, how do you feel like of Aaron Sorkin as a director? I don't mind him. I think maybe because I'm not as familiar with his TV work. Mm-hmm. The stuff that I think to people who are familiar with his TV work feels really cliche, cliche of himself, like he's ripping off himself. It doesn't read the same way to me because I can't tell. Um, yeah, I it mean, just reads to me as fun. I, I, I like Molly's game. I liked elements yeah. of Molly's game a lot. Like, and I feel like sometimes people, you know, give him this rap of like, it's very stiff. Uh, you know, his dialogue is very stiff and it works, you know, when it works wonders, it works great. And I feel like the alchemy of this movie feels right. Like it feels like, okay. And again, another movie about anger. Mm-hmm. So this seems like a fun popcorny movie, but it's also got the right, this one feels like the Oscar movie that got through, right? About history, about our time. Uh, written by our, you know, our poet laureate or our our Shakespeare of our time. You know, it. it, it this is kind of getting everything across the board. Um, it is and- the Frank Langella getting to boo and hiss at Frank Langella playing the judge who's presiding over this trial. Incredibly fun. It's it's like almost being in a silent movie theater. Like boo, what are you saying, you jerk? Now the only one who gets nominated is Sasha Baron Cohen, right? Yeah, I mean, that is the thing that pops out as, as you said, like a potential apology. Because everybody's equally good. He gets the showiest bits and you feel like his commitment to playing Abby Hoffman, which I think he wanted to play back in the Spielberg days. He was like, that is me. I am Abby Hoffman. I mean, 
that guy just what if Sasha Baron Cohen just keeps getting ripped off? I feel like he got ripped off because he didn't get to be um, Freddie Mercury. And then that mm. horrible Freddie Mercury movie one, that should have been him. That should have been his part. That should have been his movie. So like, I'm glad he's getting something. Can I get on my, my soapbox for one more second as Paul's gotten on his soapbox a lot about movies. Here's what I want to say. Okay. Sasha Baron Cohen as Borat. That is the best performance because he is doing it in front of real people. And he's, and that character is, is a very well constructed character that is incredibly grounded, even though it's absurd. And I have to say like, in a time where we have a lot of prank movies and we have a lot of people doing pranks, YouTubers to TV, to film, what he was able to do and keep that character real in a world and play, have people play along is I think on a level of what Francis McDormand did in Nomadland, uh, because he's getting these amazing performances out. I think if you're nominating Maria Bakalova, who is extraordinary and it's really her movie in many respects i just think that like you have to look well they both are doing it they're both are really putting their their bodies out there and i'm gonna this is where i'm gonna jump and say this and a big giant huge fuck you to whoever is picking the best makeup because if you're not nominating borat for best makeup then what the fuck are we doing here? Like both of those actors are in the world without lights in front of people, keeping something going without like, you can't say that that wasn't the best makeup. I, I firmly believe that there, we need justice for Borat and not because I do comedy, whatever. Like I, I will buy that Borat was not, Sasha didn't get that nomination. That's fine. I think that Maria deserves it. I think that that probably should have been best picture. Um, But I definitely, definitely believe it deserves best makeup. Anytime you go out there, like Johnny Knoxville, I, I, this is my high horse about, I think Johnny Knoxville should have gotten nominated for best makeup and bad grandpa. It's, it's just too good. It's too good. If you can shoot a movie and no one says what the fuck is on your face, it's too good. You're right. You have convinced me. All right. We'll get Hillbilly LG out of there. Yeah. I mean, what? It just has a bunch of like 80s style backwater response. I'm in a show where literally in between takes, people are up in my hair, up well, in the show I have hair, uh, you know, up in my hair and they are, you know, getting me down, powdering me, getting it all in there. And this is a movie where you can't do that. You're shooting for hours and you're going around here. Like there is something so, I don't know. I just think it's like, we got to embrace that too. We're talking about the best movies. It's, it's, it's the same understanding that I have about like why the room should be on the best movies list because it's like, there's certain things where we have to just acknowledge it. This is pushing cinema in a way. Like, it's just not about, like, the elegance. I think sometimes the Oscars gets caught up in the elegance of what they're doing and not often, like, what film represents. Like, yes, these are elevated performances and all this sort of stuff, but Borat is, those are master, masters of their work. I will say I am dazzled by your completely accurate comparison, drawing that parallel between Francis McDormand and Sasha Baron Cohen. I like, mean, like, why, yeah. Why, yeah. Like, why? What's different? Yeah. What, not, what's yeah. different is this. They knew that they were in a movie. Mm-hmm. The people in Borat did not. And they gave an equal performance. 
Well, maybe your argument will be so convincing that next year we'll see Bad Trip at the Oscars. Uh, you know, there you go. Uh, well, I guess maybe talking about the two movies or maybe three movies that really aren't about anger. Um, and this one would be Minari. Minari is the only one in our in our features. I don't I don't think anger is a. Well, I mean, not not really. Well, yeah, no, you're right. Not like, really, there's you know? some frustration, but not anger. Yeah. Not anger. Like I think the majority of our best picture films are angry films that wind up with anger that has nowhere to go. Yes. You know, like and, they don't yeah. resolve. Like none of these films are like. And then he cured cancer. Slow clap. Take a bow. Eddie Redmayne right. gets another Oscar nomination. <laughs> like there's nothing like that. It, it, they are angry films that confront the fact that anger is not easily healed. You know. No. But Minari is the Minari is the outlier. Minari, Minari is just sweet. Minari is just beautiful. a good, sweet, beautiful, charming film. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. 애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. I don't like grandma. 걔는 안 그래요. 한국애니까. Grandma smells like Korea. 야, 뭐라고? Grandma smell? <웃음> Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to say about it more than it's it's like a a salve, a salve for these hard times. Like I, like, you know, in a way, like just like watching it, just really, I just really melted into it. And I love Stephen Yuen. I think he's an amazing actor, and I think I'm so happy for him that he uh, is able to get a chance to show off how amazing he is, you know, and excited that he's going to be working with Jordan Peele. Um, but yeah, I just think this movie is really beautifully done. I agree. I mean, the, the setup for people who haven't seen Minari yet, and you definitely should, is that a family, the Yi family, they moved to Arkansas, um, from California because they're just, they need to grow land. Like Stephen Yoon, who's the mm. father of this family, he wants to be part of this farmland American ideal. There's something really classic in his like idea. Like, I want to come here. I want to plant this land. I want to till this land. And I have a great idea. I'm going to grow Korean produce that I can sell to like, there's vendors in Dallas. He's in a part of o- Arkansas that isn't too far, even from Oklahoma City. It's a drive, but you can get mm-hmm. to Oklahoma City where there are a ton of like Asian markets. Oklahoma City has like a really high Vietnamese population, but he sees right. like a need. He sees like the, the need of immigrants in this country. And he synergizes like the kind of classic idea of what you can do in this country with like where the people are, where you can actually maybe make some money yeah. in this country. And it is, of course, not easy. Um, not easy at all. But it's mainly a story like told through the perspective of his son and his son bonding with his grandma who comes from Korea and is just the funniest, weirdest lady. Like her name is Soonja and she just surprises you at every turn with her reactions to things. You know, I think that A24 does an amazing job of finding films that are a little bit of a, an outlier, right? This is a hard film to kind of explain, right? It really is, especially when you look at the rest of the films that we just talked about. It is about growing land. It's about people, you know, trying to build a life for themselves. But I think what A24 has done consistently is take taken films that are hard to explain, that are hard to kind of wrap your head around, and surround them with such support that they actually succeed in the world. It's, it's, it's almost like they are, you know, a zookeeper that is so protective of a 
of an endangered species that's born in the wild, that they take such good care of it, that it is able to flourish in its, in its new habitat when they release it into the world. And I'd seen them do it time and time again. They just kind of had, like, there's no reason why this movie should be on the tip of everybody's tongue. And I feel like it really has gotten there. And I think that they do a great job of, and it's a track record thing too. It's like, trust us, you, trust us. We, we do this. We, do, we know we're going we're gonna to lead you in the right direction. I love that. I mean, that's almost a metaphor for the film itself about like this mm-hmm. grandmother planting Minari, you know, in a, yeah. a kind of leafy produce. I'm not sure what it tastes like that she like values and she plants it near their creek. And it's about like harvesting and tending to it and keeping like putting roots and keeping them alive. And I feel like A24 is doing that with independent film. Nothing mm-hmm. independent film even seems to need it. Like this year, it's like you're doing well as long as streaming services have the money to keep throwing it at cool projects. Well, but you know, and I, but I will always argue with you that, like, well, not argue with you, but I'll, I'll argue the point that independent film can be dull at certain points because, oh, well, it has a certain budget. We have to shoot a certain thing, and so sometimes you are caught with a uh, a glut of similar-looking independent film. And that's obviously a lot of mumblecore, I think, because a lot of people can make a mumblecore film. Um, and that's not bad, but A24, like, this is expansive. It's, a, it, it's, an, it's an indie film that is hard. Again, it's the indie films that are hard to pitch and push and, and even maybe even do, you know, that make it so kind of special. Agree. Agreed. I think Minari is a lovely addition to this. I'm very glad. I'm very glad the actress who plays Sunja got her um, Best Supporting actor, Actress nomination as well. The final movie I wanted to talk about, and I mean, we could talk about Onward because I, I think Onward is a great Pixar movie, but I just think that Soul is a movie that is worthy of a, of a, a brief conversation. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier about the cat and stuff like that. You know, do you, did it warm your heart, Soul? Or did you, uh, did you feel like, what, yeah, what, what, what's your gut? Because I didn't really get your gut besides the cat dog of it all. Yeah, no, I really, actually, of all the Pixar films where they kind of lighten up, you know, an aspect of your psychology, like this one is one that I find really personal. The idea of like, what am I choosing to do with my life and have I done the right things? And the, the kind of anger, like, did I do this right? I wanted more of that. I didn't get enough of that. It has kind of a, it's a wonderful life feel to it. So, yeah, you know, like, and, and, yeah, could I have been I, happy with my choices, appreciating the normal, even if you feel like you strive for more than you obtained. I also feel like it's a movie about patterns, like, and breaking your patterns. And because I think sometimes we get into a pattern of being in a pattern that we don't question the pattern. And I'm not the last one I'm going to say pattern. Sorry, I lied. Um, because there, I think about that scene in the barbershop where... Now the, uh, I don't even know what you call it, the, the, the soul is in the body and the man is in the, is in the cat and the soul is in the body has a conversation with his barber. And he's like, I never, you know, and there's this moment where when they leave, he's, you know, the, 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 the man and the cat is like, I never knew about his life. I only talked about jazz. I, you know, it's like, we sometimes keep ourselves back. We hold ourselves back in the weirdest ways. And, um, and they're not even intentional. I don't think he was a bad, I don't think it's not like, and I think I loved your comparison to it's a wonderful life because it's not like a Scrooge story. It's not like, Oh, he was a dick. And only if he was nice, it was like, here's a nice person 
who maybe was too nice or or stood too much on circumstance or didn't um go deeper. We talked about that the other day, like the idea of like I want to go deeper. I want to like I want to see what's going on in people's lives and and I feel like that that idea of questioning and enjoying life sometimes gets uh washed away. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I, I, there's something about it and yeah, and there's other bigger ideas in there too, but it's just really interesting. I, I love like that, that one moment really solidified the whole movie to me. Like this idea of like, oh, I never had that conversation with somebody who's in my life who I have a nice relationship with. Yeah. Well, why didn't you, you know, like, what is that? Why don't you go there? And we don't go there not for any bad reasons. It's just because we're caught in a trap where we, we almost are going through the routine of this is how I talk to this person, this is how I talk to this person. And we don't, and it's almost like we're playing a, a, a role that we can change at any moment. Hang on, hang on. What are y'all laughing at? So Connie got a little lost in it. That's a good thing. Look, I remember one time my dad took me to this jazz club, and that's the last place I wanted to be. But then I see this guy, and he's playing his chords with force on it. And then with a minor, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then he has the inner voices, and it's like he's, it's like he's singing. And I swear, the next thing I know, it, 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 it's like he floats off the stage. That guy was lost in the music. He was in it, and he took the rest of us with him. That's when I knew I was born to play. It makes me think of that movie I was rhapsodizing about last week, Outside Story, which I really hope people yeah. see. There's kind of that same thing. Like you have your ways of talking to the people in your neighborhood. They're actually really similar films now that I think about it. Yeah. And and how are we going to break out when we reemerge? Maybe that's what's lovely about having this conversation now, about having these films. Because like, you know, we're not coming back from being dead, but we yeah. are coming back to the world. Like we're kind of getting a chance to reenter the world with fresh eyes. Absolutely. I feel like we are, we've all taken a lot of time to look at ourselves. And, you know, maybe sometimes that has been a depressing thing. Sometimes it's been an enlightening thing. Sometimes it's been uh, an angry thing. You know, I think we've all lived in anger this year. I think that, that there's a reason why these movies have been like this. But I think, you know, anger is is a grower if you think of anger as thunder and lightning and rain like maybe it's watering our fields and 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 getting us to come back in and and i think we are going to make different choices and we're going to appreciate certain things and not to say that we're all going to be changed people and and we aren't we are i'm in i'm back in the world to a certain extent but there's something really nice about slowing down and getting a chance to like look at ourselves because we are and we are on this like this hamster wheel, I think, of like, gotta get, gotta go, gotta eat, and we miss out on some of the fun stuff. I will say, you know, one of the best things about this last year was pretty much having dinner with my kids every single night. Like, that just didn't happen before. Um, and I, a lot, sure, but not every single night. And wow, I love it. I love it so much. I, I mean, and, and I hate that I have to give it up a little bit, you know, as things get as things change, but I love that time and I love this experience. And I love this connection and I love knowing them so much. Uh, and obviously I'm in a different situation. I know people have had some very dark situations. I'm just saying, but there are these certain things you learn. Like I, I think everyone can take one of these little things and put it in our bag and, and hope to do more of this or that. If it, maybe it's baking, maybe it's baking, maybe it's being creative on a different level or writing or, you know, it's, there's so many things. No, for me, it's hiking. 
You know, I yeah. always felt like I didn't have time to take hikes at sunset because I was always in a movie. Yeah. You know, always in a movie. Always had a movie at 7 or 7.30. And now I can take hikes when it's a little cool and it's fine to go outside and you're shady and it's beautiful. And I really want to fight to make sure I get to keep doing that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, to that, I mean, it sounds like what we're talking about is that film and is about dealing with the cards you've been dealt. You know, kind of mm-hmm. like bringing it all the way back to the beginning, kind of like the sound, the sound of metal. Like we have been dealt cards and how are we going to play them? And with that said, we've been dealt a strange mix of Oscar years. It's just probably the strangest Oscar year of our lives. Yeah. And I like it. I like the cards we've been dealt, man. I think they're good cards. There's not a green book on here. There's some good cards that I'm happy to play. And I think we're going to keep coming back to this Oscar year a decade from now, two decades from now, and see it as a pivotal change. I, I just believe that. I just really believe that we are that Hollywood is changing right now as we speak, and the acceleration is happening faster. And I think good stuff is going to come out of it. Yeah, and you know, and I feel like if the only good thing that comes out of this is that we get more films like this, then great. You know, like more films like this to get this kind of attention. Um, I think that that's really that could be really good. And now, Amy, do you want to put each other to the test here on record and, and say what we think is going to win? <gasps> okay. I'm scared and I'm always wrong, but let's do it. Let's just go with our gut. Let's go with our gut and do the top six categories. Picture, director, actor, actress, supporting actor, and supporting actress. Okay. okay. I like it. Okay. I am going to say for picture, Trial of Chicago 7. Whoa. Yep. Really? Yep. All right. I'm going to go Nomadland. I'm going to keep it okay. safe. Safe. I'm going to keep it safe by doing the low budget film by Chloe Zhao. Yes. I'm going to okay. keep it safe and say Nomadland. What about director? Well, director, I'm going to say Chloe Zhao. I'm also. No. Yes. No. Oh, a troll in me is like, they could just fuck with us and say Fincher because they could. They could. I'm still going to say Zhao. Chloe Zhao. Okay. No, I'm going to say Fincher. Okay. I don't there believe in the Academy. Suddenly I've lost all faith. Okay. All right. Actress. Actress. This is tough. <sighs> I'm going Viola Davis and Carrie Mulligan. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to say Carrie Mulligan. I'm going to say Francis McDormand. Interesting. Okay. I think I'm really expecting a Nomadland sweep, which is strange. I can't yeah. really be feeling that way. Can I? You can. Actor. Actor, Chadwick Boseman. Absolutely. We didn't really even talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, I don't know that much about it. Uh, like, what? What's the? What is your your quick take on? I mean, it's not nominated for. It's nominated for performances. Uh, is it? Uh, is it? Is it a miss that it was an Oscar? That wasn't an Oscar nomination. Um, I think it will survive without the Oscar nomination, but it is a really good watch. Like, it's okay. That I. Chadwick Boseman's performance in this movie is all just like hope and anger and aggression and ego. It he's he burns it up. He absolutely burns this movie up. It has to be seen. I cannot wait. Um, all right, so best supporting actress. Oh God, I'm just gonna say Maria Bakalova. I don't know if I believe okay. that, but I'm gonna will it to happen. I'm going to say Yu Jong Jong. 
Nice. She'd be really charming. And she's really hitting the award circuit, doing the interviews. Good for her. Yeah. All and right. And then. Supporting actor. Uh, Daniel Kluwa. Lakeith Stanfield. Okay. Um, and then. And then, you know what I want to do? By the way, this is not me saying who I want to win. This is me gaming the system in my head. So that just I just want everyone to know, like, this is not me saying these are my picks. These are my picks to beat Amy. Yes. Okay. Which, speaking of, here's the part where you always beat me in the Oscars every year, which is mm-hmm. the shorts. And okay. I find this incredibly frustrating because I will have actually seen them all and you will just be going off of title. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with that said, having seen short. all of these, like, yeah, let's start with live action short. By title, who do you think is going to win? Okay, let me look at the titles. Okay. Um, two Distant Strangers. Okay. The best one in here is White Eye. So I hope that wins. We'll see. Okay. I have no do you want to do? Do you want to do another live yeah. action? Do you want to do? Okay, let's do... Let's do, um, um, let's do documentary short. Documentary short. Okay. I'm going to look here and say... This is the first time I'm really looking at these. A love song for Latasha. I think you're right. That is actually the best okay. one. I want that one to win. A love song for All Latasha. Right. It's amazing. It's about... Um, Latasha, the girl who was shot here in the 90s in a convenience store in Los Angeles. It's like her friends talking about how amazing she was and what she was like. Oh it's God. really good. Really good. Um, All right. An animated short film. Mm-hmm. If anything happens, I love you. Oh. Uh, by the way, that I did see and that crushed me. Did it really? Oh, oh I thought it was cool. Oh. Okay, interesting, interesting. I think you know what. Look, I'm a father, and uh, this shit gets gets me in a way that is rough. Um, that one, like that, like made me cry for like twenty minutes. Oh my gosh! Oh, what yeah, a softy! Like, it's like you watch yeah. the trailer for The Sound of Metal. Uh, um, and I'll say Genius Loki is the best one, so maybe that'll win. Okay. Uh, any other ones you want to? You know, Josh will keep us honest here. We'll keep everybody honest. Uh, I feel like this is a good. This is a good overview. I mean, we talked about a bunch of movies. I appreciate everybody coming along on this journey with us in this big, big episode. But um, I'm excited for the Oscars. We will compare our notes uh, next week uh, as we get into our audience pick for the Underdog series. Which Amy, should we reveal what that audience pick is? We should. We should. It is another film that went to the Oscars. It is none other than the realest of real films about sports, the documentary Hoop Dreams. Now, I do want to say I did have a problem with this. We are going to do it, but we were making we the Hoop Dream should not have been nominated. I'm just going to go out on the line and say Hoop Dream should not have been nominated only because it is a documentary. We were doing fiction, you know, written fictional accounts of true stories, but I'm very happy to get our first doc in here. Even Paul really though it's wanted to do Moneyball. You, you betrayed uh, Paul with a chance. To no, you know what I really wanted to do? I wanted to do Miracle. I hope that I hope that people were going to pick Miracle because I never saw it. Oh, now I just have to see it without a podcast attached to it. No, I kind of wanted to do Rudy because we were so hard on Hoosiers. Oh, and yes. having never seen Rudy, I, I wanted to like that movie. All right. Well, there you go. Well, all right. So let's take a listen to the trailer of Hoop Dreams. It begins with a game, with a basket and a ball. It becomes a journey of heartbreak and hope from city streets to the brink of fame. The amazing story of two boys and two families struggling against the odds. My mother, God bless her, she's always sending me to America. You can make something of your life. Against the system. You have to realize 
you can make their team win. To make a dream come true. All I ever dreamed about was playing in the NBA. You get Hoop Dreams wherever films are streamed. And Amy, we will see you next week to finish The Underdogs and to compare our notes on the Oscars. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.